0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. ...thing you do in our Christmas decos. and look at them I thought, maybe I'll give the poem a go. So I trusted my second primary school level Mandarin and I sang the poem. But for your sake, I will say it to you in English. Okay, this is how it goes across the door where my bride was behind. He says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Descending from the hill of Gilead, your teeth are like a flock of sheep. Just shone coming out from washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet. Ribbon, your mouth is lovely. Your temple behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with courses of stones. I, I think I won't go on. There's more of it. But you can imagine how beautiful my bride looks if taken literally. If not, you can't imagine, look at the picture just behind me. And this is how she was meant to look. Not very pretty, is she? Flock of sheep in her mouth? Neck like a tower. Wow, very long neck. Well, this is actually a 3,000 year poem by the wisest man called Solomon. Now, as I sang this poem across the door, which did open, it was never meant to be taken literal. Uh, They were metaphors, actually, of the beauty of a bride with the most beautiful eyes and perfect teeth with no gaps, which was amazing 3,000 years ago. Lovely lips and so on. Now, friends, this afternoon as we come to our final talk, The Banquet, Where We Are Hated, we enter part of the Bible where our future is painted with the most poetic and visual metaphors. And so I'll need you to click on your poetic brains a little bit to understand the picture words and we'll journey together. In this last book of the Bible, we read of a great banquet or supper that goes like this. Uh, Gene read for us just now. Revelation 19 verse 9 says, Then the angel said to me, the writer, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Now, on the final day where we are headed to, there will be this great wedding banquet of the Lamb. It doesn't mean a Lamb buffet, rather, it's describing the most amazing celebration of which the bridegroom is a Lamb. Now, those of you who were here with us last week, you understand this metaphor, but for the rest, let me just let us uh, speed you out on that. Last week we looked at two events that happened that describes that the Lamb will save the world. The first event happened 3,500 years before this time in the time of Moses in Egypt where the innocent lamb, an innocent lamb was killed. His blood was splattered across the top and the side of the door so that when God's judgment comes, it passes over all the doors and families where blood has already been shed. And then 2,000 years before today, there was that great event that Christians call Good Friday, or the Last Supper, where once again God's own Son Jesus came in and as an innocent Lamb of God, He died on the cross with His blood splattered across the kingdom of heaven so that all who are under the door of Christ, or who are in Christ, the death will pass over them or ask when God's final judgment comes. So the lamb in the last book of the Bible in Revelation refers to Jesus who died to pay for our sins so that on the final day of judgment, we will not experience death, but instead we will enter to celebrate, have a great wedding banquet to celebrate because Jesus has done sufficient so that death will pass over us. And so today we come to some very visual metaphors to describe what happens on the final day when our world ends. So if you have your bulletin there, it's fading because it's almost like heaven. It's a bit fading, but there you go. Look at the first verse with me. Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, there's always something special when you hear the word new. Something new is always fresh. A new year is coming in. A new pair of glasses helps. The last night I got a new pair. All of you looks more beautiful and handsome. Um, Or a new job. Many people long for new jobs, hoping to put the old baggages away and have a fresh start. People love new. Well, not everything is new. I love my old wife. (laughs) But for things that are broken or deteriorates over time, the new offers much more than repair. Consider the car. Imagine a new car always promises way more than repair if you inherit from someone a 19-year-old unloved car whose COE is running out. A new one is always better than repair. Or a new fridge, a new washing machine. Or perhaps even a new set of teeth, if you are reaching the age. Now here is a picture of what is ahead. A new heaven or a new and a new earth. The first heaven and earth has passed away. Now in our journey, in the last three weeks, we actually did look at this, that when God first created the heavens and the first earth, Creation was great but then it lost its shine at this point. The creation has lost its shine because the cares of the world which is basically you and me, we have battered and raided the world for our own indulgence. Or perhaps look at our own bodies, or you will soon find this happening. That having lost the access from the tree of life, we will suffer the effects of suffering of decays. Our bodies will need to be repaired. And the spare parts that you'll get will never be as good as the new. Now if you ever get a root canal done, and you get an honest dentist, the dentist will always warn you of its potential expiry date, as with any other replacements that you'll get in your body parts. Yesterday I was at the hairdresser, and she was talking about her mom who has to replace a hip, because the old one has expired. But most importantly, our relationships with God was broken after the fall, resulting in broken relationships between us and God and between each other. That's why, I hope you do this, but that's also show who you are. We always end up saying sorry. Has anyone not said sorry before? I assume that you have done. The thing is because we are broken and relationships are never perfect. But in the future, it's not a picture of mere repair. It will be a picture of everything new. It is a totally new creation. The old creation will be gone. The new will arrive. There will be no scars from our old life. There will be perfect, fresh start, void of brokenness, void of battered scars, void of painful past. In this new creation, there will be no separation between heaven and earth, between God and people. Look at verse 2. With me, it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, here's an amazing picture because as, as you look at it, it's not people who will be risen to heaven, but rather heaven coming down to us. Jesus, the Son of God, comes for those He had saved with His own blood, and those who belong to God, who are saved by the blood of Jesus, the Lamb, are described metaphorically as a holy city in the New Jerusalem, even called a beautifully dressed bride for her husband. Now these are just metaphors, but they are meant to help us imagine that those who have trusted in Jesus, they will never be disappointed with their future. They will become a holy city, meaning they will be void of evil, they will be void of impurity. you will be holy. They are described as a beautiful bride because the husband had died for her and has returned to bring her into the kingdom. Now there is something that is very sacred if you read or hear about it or actually learn about it, when a husband would give up his life literally for the sake of his wife. There is something sacred there. But that's exactly what happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross that he died to buy the life of his bride which are basically those who believe in him. But there's more for Jesus because he rose from the dead and he promised to come back for those that he had died for. So the bride in the future or those who believe in him are like brides waiting for the bridegroom who comes for her. To bring the everlasting promise of entering the kingdom of heaven. In fact, look at verse 3 and verse 4. I'll, I'll just describe that for you as I read it with you. Now, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now amongst the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for all other things has passed away. Now on that final day where we are hated, those who are saved by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus, they will see God and they will be with God once again, for God will come and dwell with humans. And what happens when we have a restored relationship with God on that day? It says here, God will wipe Away every tear from your eyes. If you've ever cried or ever been in pain or sorrow or brokenness, that becomes a past. In fact in the old book, in the old testament there's a prophet called Isaiah, he describes the future this way. He says there'll be no infants who only live for a few days. There'll be no man, old man who dies because of an aged body. They will no longer be laboring in vain for food. The wolf and the eel, they will feed together. The lion will eat straws with the ox. No serpent will ever cause destruction. Because after all, if God comes, how can evil still remain? Sorrows, sighing will flee and death will be long forgotten. Friends, as I pause here, I want you to just think, we have all lived a fair bit of life, think of all the hurts, the regrets, the pains, the emotions that you struggle with. Or perhaps look at the world around us. Think of your newspaper, look around and see the brokenness of our world. Anything you can imagine or anything you have experienced in life will be removed. The ill effects, the consequence of sins and rebellion against God will be absent on that day. Unwanted desires we have, anguish that rage within us, they will also be dissolved. The ability to relate with each other will be perfect. There will be no fears, there will be no tears, and there will be no sorries. Because there is no need for sorries. The old will be passed away, the new will come, the comfort, the protection of God will be there. Dear friends, I just want to pause here and ask you to give it a shot. Can you imagine a better picture of a better life than that? Give it a shot. Try to think. Can you think of a better picture, a better life? Or is there something that you desire more than what the Bible tells us? When God sits on a throne. His word, His words are trustworthy. And this is what He says in verse 5. He says, I'm making everything new. And then he says, verse 6, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega. It's a Greek word to mean, letters to mean A to Z, The beginning and the end. And if those descriptions are not sufficient to whet your appetite, an angel who was with the altar John, he showed him in his vision even more of what we will become if we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. And again, using metaphors and language that we humans are able to understand, John describes God's people, the bride, the holy city, this way, he says, verse 11, he says, It shone with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. On that day, we will be filled with the glory of God, and that will be our transformation. Now, anyone here, just for that moment to think, ever, anyone here ever feels lousy about yourself? Just thinking, you, you feel lousy about yourself. Anyone feels ashamed before? Anyone feels dirty or unclean because of what you have taught, what you have done. Your actions or attitudes. But if you look at verse 11, it says, On that day, you will be seen as a precious jewel, clear, clear as crystal. And if you go on to verse 12 to 21, which I'll just summarize for you, it goes on to describe further that no one who trusts in God will ever be left out. In the biblical terms, it, it means the Old Testament people and the New Testament people or those before Jesus and after Jesus, all who have trusted in God, none will be left behind. They'll be like the most precious stones. I've not even seen most of them, but let me read them to you. This is how you will look like if you're in Christ. Jasper, sapphire, agate, Emerald, Onyx, Ruby, chrysolite, Beryl, Topaz, turquoise, Jackson's, they are like perfect pearls. And then verse 21 describes the street of heaven that is purer than the limited 99.99 gold in our world. So pure and abundant that gold will be used to pave the streets. Now there's this joke that says there was this really rich man. He dreamt that he died and he was heading towards heaven and the angel say, Hey man, what do you like to bring to heaven? You can choose one thing. He looked around what he has. He says, can I bring my gold? I have a lot of them. One suitcase worth. He brought it out, 99.9% gold. And the angel looked at him and said, And why would you bring poor quality pavement stones? Because that is what Heaven is forget your pavement stones, because there are much better ones in heaven. No friends, the best metaphor in our human language will always fail to describe fully what we will actually see and experience in the new heavens and the new earth. No friends, is there anything here on earth, anything that is worth for you to exchange the glory that God wants to give to you? Is there anything? that you exchange for it. Relationships, career, money, pride, comfort. Now the problem with us, friends, is not that we desire too much here on earth. If you were to understand scripture, the scripture will tell you we actually desire way too little on this earth. We are far too easily pleased to give what we are worth for something that's not worth what you are. You now, C.S. Lewis, in his remarkable book called The Weight of Glory, he writes about how we are actually living our life right now. I'll just quote him to you. This is what Lewis says, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with dreams and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Dear friends, are you and I far too easily pleased in this life? That we are willing to give up the eternal crowns of glory that God offers to us in Jesus and fight among ourselves for paper crowns that is worthless the moment the game is over? Will we give up a holiday with God for eternity to fight and be kings in the mud, to make mud pies? That is worth nothing. Well, friends, we have barely touched the surface of describing what future holds in Jesus, but just a bit more for us, for you and me. Look at verse 22 onwards. John describes further, he says this, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are his temple. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun. Or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb it is light. Now, here's a bit of a background if you are a first reader, because this is written 2000 years ago. For a first reader in in a Jewish uh, environment, to them, the King's Palace is never the center of the nation. Well, it is for us the White House, the, the Istana, but not in the Jewish world. In the Jewish world, the center is not the King's Palace, it's the temple. Because that's where God sits. But here John says, in the future there's not going to be a temple for you because God is going to be there. What is metaphorically speaking is that there will be no more division between us and God. You'll no longer be asking what is God like, how should we worship God because you see Him face to face. We see the Almighty Lord and the Lamb, Jesus, because they will be right in the center of this new creation. And if you recall our first talk, for those who are here, we talked about how God created the sun and the moon. So that it shines its light on us. Well, there will be no need for the sun or the moon because glory itself shines in this whole place. And verse 24, look at this. This is fun. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring its splendor. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. You know, the new heaven and new earth will be like a city that never shuts its gate, because there's never evil that will come in. The only thing that exists in the future will just be glory and honor. You know, there will be continuity and discontinuity in the heavens. Now, this is, I was trying to imagine what would heaven be like. And I thought... Perhaps music will be there, painting, creativity will be there. All of us will play like Mozart because we have all our lifetime to learn and be better than that. All of us can paint like Michelangelo because we have all our lifetime with the greatest artist that paints the universe. The enjoyable farming and enjoyable food, food will taste literally heavenly with advertisements. But I thought there will be discontinuity some of you will run out of jobs because there'll be no doctors. There'll be no physios. My wife will run our job. There'll be no one who will be sick or injured. And there'll be no locksmith. If you want that to be a vocation, forget it because no one will ever need a lock for their gates. There'll be no theft. There'll be no evil. No friends, remember the Garden of Eden in the first leg of our journey, just a few weeks back, when the first man and woman lived. Well, in the future, it will be a garden city. It's a much greater garden city than in the beginning. In fact, look at verse 1 1 to 5 of chapter 22, right at the last paragraph of today's passage. Then the angel showed me the river of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. As you pause and look at that few verses, the first verse says there is a river of crystal clear water of life flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle right through the whole city. Well, in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, we are told that there was a tree of life. In this new creation, verse 2, there are trees of life on both sides of the river that always bears fruits. there are sufficient fruits for everyone to have life all the time. In the beginning of Genesis where we have rebellion and our failures, in the new creation, verse 3, there will be no more curses that exist. Well, in the beginning we rebel against God and are separate from Him, verse 3 says we will be willing to submit to God willingly because He is the one who loves us by dying on the cross for us. You know in the Bible there is, there there are stories of slaves who are not willing to be set free even if they want to. And this is what they do. When the slave loves the master so much that even when they are able to be set free, they refuse. They have to declare it by putting their ear loop at the door and they'll pierce a nail right through it to say that then you'll be in this family forever and there'll be slaves that would do it. But on that final day, when you and I get to see the glory and the mercy and the love of God, the one who patiently loved us and cared for us and tenderly loved us and preserved us even though we often run away, on that day when you see His face, you'll say, don't let me go anywhere else. You will want to be there without being forced to because the glory of God is finally revealed to us. When we're told of this Look at verse 4. It says, They will see His face, His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will, need not, they will not need the light of the Lamb or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever. Friends, you were, if you were to remember the beginning of the Bible, it says this. It says the, the creation was created for man to rule and we failed to rule it. So we ruined it. On the final day, we will be able to rule over the world and metaphorically, we have the name of Jesus there and literally, we will have Jesus with us and we will reign with Jesus forever and ever. He will be there to make everything possible. Dear friends, as we try to metaphorically think about heaven, is there something more attractive than what God wants to offer to you and to me on that final day, the best of the descriptions we can think of are really just metaphors of what we cannot comprehend. No, It's like me trying to describe to some of you who have never been parents, what it feels like to carry my baby, my babies, my twins, for the first time. You know, in 2010, the 10th of April, in Perth King Edwards Hospital, the hospital was on fire. Everyone was being ushered out of the hospital. The only ones who were left there was me and my wife because she needs to deliver. So we were there. Everyone was out. The doctor was brave enough to stay in. We tried to rush the kids out. My first daughter came out, my son, in three minutes because they had to pull him out right through because of time. As I held on to their two babies, for a moment the, the, the siren of the fire engines and the whole hospital, it just drums out. My hand was numb on one side. I said, look at that beautiful baby with the most beautiful cry. That's the last time, but that was the most beautiful cry I've heard with her eyes closed. And the other one, without crying, was just opening his eyes, staring at me. and say, hi dad. Their hairs were wet. And and for that moment, I was just holding them and the time just froze. But friends, the best way I can describe to you It's still nothing compared to what actually felt like for me when I carried those fireproof kits for the first time. Whatever we have read in Revelation, they are just metaphors of what you will actually experience when you are there. That is what God offers to us. Is there anything more attractive that you will give this up? And before I close, I must bring to us the most important message that I've actually not yet mentioned in today's message. If some of you have keen eyes, you will have noticed. And the question is this, who will get to enter this new creation? Can I invite you to read three verses with me? Look at Revelation 21, verse 6 to 7, and then 27. Let me read this for us when you are there. Or seven, eight, 6 to 8. God said, To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is a second death. And regarding new creation, look at verse 27. It says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now dear friends, there will be two kinds of people on their final day two kinds. The first will be those who are found guilty before God. Those who have done shameful or deceitful acts, those whose actions and attitudes have revealed that they have spurned God, they have rejected God, and they have spit on God in some sense of their life. Well, friends, as you and I examine ourselves, unfortunately, we'll find that we'll land ourselves in this first group of people. I don't know about you, I find that I will end up in the first group of people. And so will the whole world. Because none of us have been perfect or righteous and good. None of us have loved God and obeyed God as He deserved. None of us have loved each other the way that you should have loved me and I should have loved you. And none of us have been selflessly loving and caring for this world. So for those who are guilty, God says, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And this is the second death. If we have experienced the first death, which none of us have, that is a metaphor of the second death. So what hope is there for us? Well, there is a second kind of people mentioned that we could be. Can I invite you to look at verse 7 again? Notice what God says. God says, To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. The second kind of people described here are those who are thirsty to come back to God. Who are thirsty for God. They acknowledge they are unworthy and they acknowledge that God is God. And we are not. To those who are thirsty, God says He will give the water of life without cost. Without cost. Why? First of all, we can't pay it. Second, it's because it has been paid for by the Lamb. Those who believe in Jesus and trust that He pays for their sins and rose from the dead, those who commit to Jesus as both their Lord and Savior, or to put another word, Jesus is their King and the one who rescues them, those who commit to Jesus as their Lord, they will be given life. And us too, if that is who you are and who I am. God will give us water without cause because Jesus has paid for it. And look at verse 27 again. Look at verse 27. It says, Nothing pure will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Because this is how you'll be on the final day. The books of history will be splattered all over the world in heavens. Everything that we've done, any thoughts that we have, nothing gets heat under the carpet. Nothing. The books of history will review everything of our actions and attitudes and it will make us guilty. But if our names are written on another book, the Lamb's Book of Life, God's judgment will pass over because the Lamb would say, I've already died for them. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Easter is about. That's what Christianity is about. It's never about a religion of doing good. It's a relationship with God because of Jesus, the Lamb. God's judgment will pass and we will receive new life in the Lamb. We will receive in Jesus a new heart and a restart that will never ever fail again. Now dear friends, as we close this fourth lick of life in four meals, I'm really thankful for many of you who are here today or who have journeyed with us for the last four weeks. They are on podcasts if you miss them and you want to. But my closing plea with you as a fellow human in the image of God is to thirst. thirst for God. What else would you want to thirst for that is worth your value? You are made in the image of God. What do you want to thirst for that is worth your value, or mine. Thirst for the relationship with God more than fighting for paper crowns with each other, more than building mud pies among the muds, as kings of the muds. But let us come to God that we will be the children of God in the place He prepared and the feast that is sufficient for everyone if only we will come to Christ. So friends, as I close this, um, this series with a prayer, I want to invite us just to spend a moment of time as we close our eyes to um, pray and talk to God. After this, we have a delicious feast or meal downstairs. But if you enjoy it, just remember it's but a metaphor of what God wants us to have. So let's close our eyes now. For a moment of our own reflection, I'll just give us a short moment and then I will pray for us and give thanks to God. Dear God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, how amazing if we merely pause at the year end to think about the new creation that is available that will take away all our brokenness, our pains, our tears, our fears, our sickness, our griefs, our hopelessness, our unwanted desires, our incongruence, our sin, our death. And then you give us a place of perfect garden city of the new Jerusalem to be transformed into the most precious things and beings that will ever live, to once again have perfect relationship with you and perfect love to relate with each other. We'll never have to say sorry again and there will never be hurts again. To be lifted up from building mud pies in our own kingdoms to worshipping you and flourish in the golden streets of heaven. Oh Father, we know that the future is only possible in Jesus and so we acknowledge Jesus as our King and Rescuer. And we believe Jesus died for our sins, has risen from the dead. And we commend ourselves to turn away from our own godness to worship You because we are made in Your image and we are worth much more than mud pies. So we pray and bring our request to You and only by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at this